Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Reading from this season to the Reading from last season. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very, very good. Good. Still being called a virgin online? Yeah, yeah, it's catching on now. Don't mind it, actually. There, there are worse things to call me, but it could it could get worse, but I'm happy with virgin for now. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fairly apt. Um, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're back once again with matches to talk about because the FA Cup is no more for now. Uh, we've got Reading v Fulham to talk about. My God, that's going to take some dismantling, isn't it? So we're going to talk about that, look ahead to the weekend's games that are coming up and then talk about some of the news from the past few days as well because there's been lots going on, not just in the transfer window, but also various different bits as well. But before we get underway dear listener let me tell you about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans you can get a terrific welcome offer of bet 10 pounds get 30 pounds plus 10 free spins when you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast uk mobile registrations only terms and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out Fansbet responsible gambling tools on Tuesday night it was Reading nil, Fulham 7 I think the only place to start with this Justin is the two goal of the season contenders for Andy Carroll both unfortunately disallowed for offside one a very nice bicycle kick and then the other a chest and volley from 25-30 yards out I mean the second one if it counted would have been goal of the decade wouldn't it quite comfortably maybe just for a player to be able to chest it down and hit it because Rodak didn't move either like he knew that was going in as soon as it left Carroll's foot it was a it was an absolutely gorgeous goal and um a crying shame that the offside rule is in fact the offside rule and he was offside yeah definitely I mean if the first one counted it would have been glorious in itself but for someone to score two of the best goals of their (laughs) career in the first half of a game keep in mind as well I think the score was 1-0 at the time, want it mm-hmm. um, for yeah. both of them. It's just astonishing, and then it all went quickly downhill. And when I mean downhill, I mean parachuting out of a plane and hitting the ground very quickly. Uh, when it comes to like, games like this, Justin, when it gets past five nil, then I'm very much of the opinion that the losing team were awful and the winning team have been brilliant. It's not a case of one of the other, if you see what I mean. And I will say this: I feel like saying Reading were awful is a bit kind, to be honest, because. This performance was laughable, wasn't it? It was. There isn't really much you can say. You're going into half-time 2-0 down and you're thinking, we could, if we improve, we could see the game out, keep it quite tight, could see the game out. Or you might be thinking, um, there might be a chance for a result here based on Fulham's form recently. Given Reading's form, it was highly unlikely. But at 2-0, you are still in the game. It's a cliche in football, but at 2-0, you're still in the game. Um and then after that third goal goes in, um, uh, after the hour mark by Harry Wilson, there's just a collapse, a complete collapse. And you've got to question personality, mentality and everything. Because if you go back to the Blackburn game, Fulham were, they weren't lucky, but they're fairly fortunate. They were just very good in front of goal. Um, in this game, they could have had 10 or 11 goals. It was quite horrendous how Reading were just allowing the same thing to happen over and over again and I can't remember which because so many goals I can't remember which goal it was but they essentially passed it to Harry Wilson into the middle and he's put it into an open goal um, it was laughable uh, 
in, in, in the worst way possible. I, I really do feel for, for Reading fans because they shouldn't have to watch their team put that level of performance out after um, a cup exit to a, a National League south side, north side, uh, in Kidderminster at the weekend. Yeah. I think you're absolutely spot on there. When you go back to that Blackburn game uh, where Fulham won 7-0 again, um, that was Blackburn being bad. But you could at least see there was effort being put in. And I think there was mm-hmm. also a sending off as well, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, this was just pathetic. I don't like criticising the characters of players and teams, but I saw very little from this group of players to say they wanted it more than any of the Fulham players it really really was an embarrassing performance and I'm the same as you I feel very sorry for the Reading fans that had to sit through that and I feel, I mean I take my hats off to any Reading fans that stayed there for the whole 90 minutes because I think after about 4-0 mm-hmm. I would have been straight out the door because there was clearly no heart from the players that were on the pitch I felt a bit sorry for some of the young lads that were there because there yeah. were a couple who were playing in this game um, I don't think you can really point the finger at them I think you're pointing the fingers more at the experienced pros some have been playing at the Premier League level for a number of years now but here just look like they couldn't be asked. quite frankly I don't think I've seen a performance like it in the Championship at the time that we've been covering it Justin where there was just so little heart in a game yeah and this is where you do question character and, and strength of personality because I think it was Joaquin quote actually where he says I'm just going to kick someone. Um, and it's quite apt in this way because in a game like this where you are getting panned and it gets to 4-0 and you're thinking, right, this could get ugly. Let's keep it strict. Let's let's keep it tight, disciplined. Let's um, commit as many, uh, you know, cheeky fouls as possible. Let's kick someone. Roy Keane, as you say, let's kick someone just to make me feel better. That kind of yeah, thing. just really disrupt the flow of the game is what I'm trying to get at. Um <laughs> I, I, that, that's the political way of saying it anyway or the politically correct way of saying it um, yeah really disrupt the flow of the game and they didn't do that there was no leadership and I know Scott Dan going off within the first 10 minutes isn't ideal um, but there's there's a there's a group of players there of a similar quality and, and age differences as, as the Derby squad and you look at what the, the job that Derby are doing so yeah there's a lot to question at Reading at the moment and as I say I feel sorry for supporters mostly because it's been very quiet from Reading um, in terms of statements there's not been a lot of media around that cup defeat at the weekend Um, and then the the squad put that well the team put that um, performance out Um, last night against Fulham it's uh, yeah I've got no words to say about it I really do feel for uh, for supporters mostly yeah I think we're finally seeing the culmination of a bad few years for Reading Football Club, haven't we? I think they're in the same group as the likes of Derby and Sheffield Wednesday in the way that they've gambled on getting promotion. And it feels like we're now finally seeing the consequences of what happens when that gamble doesn't pay off. Because I remember when I spoke to Mark Bowen for a second-tier meets, the former manager and sporting director, of course, he was more or less forced to sign George Puskas for six million quid when they needed to try and balance the books. And then not long ago, they were spending four times as much on wages as they were getting in income. A crazy business model. And I think that's ultimately how we've ended up in the situation where they are now, where the squad is paper thin. They're having to rely on a small handful of talented players for results. You've got youngsters um, who are filling in gaps and you've also got older players who are only there as a short-term stopgap, really, to just see them through. The thing is, as well, talking about short-term stopgaps, you've got a lot of players here whose contracts expire 
this summer coming. You've got 15 players at Reading who won't be there past July. 15 players, mm-hmm. that's the majority of a squad. But if Reading get relegated, you've got to ask, does it really matter as much to those players who probably won't be there next season? Um, you can't say for sure that it does. So I'd say it's really worrying times for Reading fans. You've got Derby, who are on fire at the moment, trying to make up as much ground as possible. You've got Peterborough, who are only three points behind. Sure, Peterborough aren't a great side, but based off what I saw in midweek, they've sure as hell got as more, more team spirit than Reading have, haven't they? So without a doubt, it's a worrying time, isn't it? I think there's one thing that's for sure, Justin. It's that Velko Panovic is under massive, massive pressure. Um, and for me, I'll be personally surprised if he lasts much longer because it seems like a lot of Reading fans have made their mind up. Yeah, they have. Um, but I do, uh, I will admit this, I do have a, uh, an ounce of sympathy for Panovic as well because everything you've mentioned about uh, business model, about squad, paper squint, uh, paper thin squad, etc., etc., that's all impacting Paunovic and the job that he can do. You look at what he did with pretty much a fully fit squad last season, um, seventh place finish. It was it was good. There was a bit of a, a drop in form that meant they dropped out of the playoffs, but seventh place is, is, uh, was a good finish for the side. Um, but there was no way they were going to be able to build on that based on the, the summer and, and what Paunovic had to deal with with injuries as well this season. Any club would struggle, um, but when performances are this bad, then I wouldn't be surprised to see the manager go. Yeah, definitely. Um, hard to believe this is Fulham's first win since mid-November, isn't it? <laughs> They've only played six games in that time, but after an emphatic win like this, it's easy to forget that they were struggling. But as we've repeatedly been saying, Justin, it only seemed like a matter of time before they were back on track. And one would assume that they certainly are now after this performance. Yeah, seven goals is is a nice, um, a nice way of announcing that, isn't it? And it's a very good way of... Telling the likes of uh, Bournemouth, West Brom, Blackburn that you know we're still we're still in the game here. We've not played for a while. We've not had a good run of form, but this is a this is a statement from us letting you know that we are we're still about. And um, you know when you when you see the likes of Harry Wilson, who was unbelievable. I think he's one of the only few players that scored a perfect ten on who scored that I've seen since covering the championship, which goes to show how how good his performance was, um, and, and the likes of Cabana getting on the act. There was just involvement everywhere. Kenny Tete, you know, how often do we see uh, right-backs scoring that are part of a back back four? Um, Kenny Tete did, I mean, Reading were bad, but at the same time, Fulham were very, very good. Ruthless as well. At 5-0, you might think, let's just keep the keep the ball a little bit, but they just carry on going and going and going. Um, and that sort of mentality, for me, in my opinion, um gets you to the top of the league very quickly. Yeah, this was a merciless massacre, <laughs> really, wasn't it, of the <laughs> highest kind. And they are back with a bang now. The really, really scary thing, Justin, is that you've got to look at the fixture schedule they've got coming up. It doesn't get much kinder than that. Their games, all the way up to the end of February, they should be winning. And they've got quite a few games in midweek in that time as well. So it honestly wouldn't surprise me if there's a big points gap separating them at the top by the end of Feb. Um, They're clearly the best team in the league based on players and overall performances across the course of the season. I mean, how often do you see a team win 7-0 twice in half a season? Mm. Not very often. So I can definitely see them waltzing off now with promotion. If they don't, then something will have gone seriously wrong. But at this stage, I'll be very, very surprised, I've got to say. Um, 
Justin, shall we have a look at head to the weekend? Of course, it's been quite a bit, quite a long time since we've seen some of these teams because of the FA Cup and various COVID uh, outbreaks and what have you, calling off games. It will go to QPRV West Brom, which promises to be a really fascinating game, doesn't it? Fifth against fourth. Could it be the first we see Daryl DK? in a West Brom shirt, Justin. We've been building up to his return to the championship for a number of weeks now. How badly do West Brom need him to hit the ground running? Yeah, really badly. Um, uh, you look at the amount of chances um, West Brom create, it's it's amazing that they're not um, up there with Fulham or closer to Fulham, uh, not only in, in points, but also goals scored. Um so that goes. That I mean, it tells you that the strikers have been underperforming badly, and obviously being relying heavily on Carl and Grant. So Daryl DK coming in, even if he scores eight, nine, ten goals um, between now and the end of the season, he'd have done, he'd have done his job quite nicely. Um, but yeah, getting him up and firing very quickly uh, <laughs> is in West Brom's best interest because we've said it many a times. Defensively, they're very, very good. Arguably one of the best teams in the division, but um, a lot of pressure gets put on that defence when they carry on missing chances um, and that enables teams into games you know it's quite easy to sneak a 1-0 win against a team who can't score um, with your only shot on target it's been done already this season so yeah Daryl DK coming in and, and scoring goals straight away is a massive massive need for West Brom yeah, you mentioned scoring eight, nine, ten goals this season. Callum Carlin Grant's the only player who scored more than five goals this season for West Brom. They desperately need another stream of goals continuously um, for them to be promotion contenders this season um, because they have drifted away in recent weeks but it's still well within week, well within reach it's just a matter of um, scoring goals really because we all know defensively they're one of if not the best team in the league at that it is just putting chances in the back of the net which has been so frustrating at times but DK can be that man because he had a fantastic conversion rate for Barnsley last season he needs to bring it back now with a West Brom. Let's go to QPR, who seem to have got going again after their spell without playing. Two wins in a row now. They've definitely been the side who have suffered the most with AFCON call-ups, though, haven't they? Sani Dieng, mm-hmm. Elias Chair and Osman Karkai have all been called up. Reading are the only other championship side to have more than one player called up to the tournament. So how badly do you think Rangers will miss that trio? I'm thinking more the first two as opposed to Kaikai as well. No disrespect to him, but he doesn't really have as much of an impact as the other two, does he? No, yeah, Kaikai's a, a squad player, so maybe not unless there's um, a severe injury crisis. Dieng um, has been out of form this season. Um, certainly not as, as good as last season, but he's still a, a top, top goalkeeper anyway. Um I think it's been alleviated now. David Marshall's come in um, until the end of the season. Obviously, Jordan Archer injuring his shoulder, saving the match-winning penalty at the weekend is really bad luck, but getting, getting an experienced goalkeeper in is a positive. Chair is, is the obvious one um, because of how good he is this season, uh, or how good he is Sorry, going forward and how good he has been this season. But Chris Willick has, as well has stepped up. Um, now, what you're asking for QPR is kind of likes of Charlie Austin, Andre Gray, and Lyndon Dykes step up. Lyndon Dykes has got a couple of goals in the last couple of games, which is a massive um, plus for QPR. It's just whether or not they can sustain it against a, a very good West Brom defence. Um, that's the question you've got to ask going into this game. Um, but yeah, certainly Dieng uh, being issued, but David Marshall more than capable of uh, filling his place and chair the obvious one, but Willick stepped up. 
I, I liked how uh, the QPR Twitter account the other day said good luck to all the Rangers players taking part in the African Cup of Nations. I was think I was thinking that is the most tongue in cheek good luck ever <laughs> because obviously they want them to get knocked out quicker because then they'll get back into the team. So I think it's a, a bit of a two way street for uh, the QPR Twitter team there. Um, score prediction then, Justin. How do you see this one going? I, I think it might be um, probably 1-1. I think uh, Daryl DK might not have the impact going in into this game as, as much as everyone would like. And I think QPR might be a bit more resolute because of uh, missing players. But yeah, 1-1 for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm siding more towards a West Brom win. I think a 1-0 Baggies win for me. I think Rangers obviously have got the two wins under the belt now. They haven't impressed me too much in those two wins. I don't think they were particularly, um, you know, top gear in those wins as we've said plenty of times this season whereas I think West Brom on the other hand it's only a matter of time before they start getting wins on the board as long as DK hits the ground running so yeah I'll head for a 1-0 West Brom win Derby v Sheffield United I think two teams Justin every other team in the championship would least like to face right now aren't they for differing reasons yeah quite right I mean it's quite difficult to see where Sheffield United are at because I can't remember the last time they played I know they played at the weekend in the FA Cup um, but before then you're going back to mid-December aren't you um, wow. yeah it's, 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 it's been a while um, and they've almost been a, a, an afterthought just because they haven't played um, but you think before um, postponements yeah they're in very good run of form Paul Heckingbottom's got them playing the way he wants them to play the way Sheffield United should be playing or the squad should be playing um, and they were picking up results that Fulham result was, was brilliant tactically fantastic and you've got Derby, uh, Derby who are really starting to um, get their wheels in motion on, on what they're trying to achieve this season and playing wise as well they're very very good even in um, even in the defeat to Coventry last, last weekend um they were retaining the ball quite quite well. They look really good in possession, just lacking um, a cutting edge, which has been an issue with Derby all season. But they have shown against the top top teams, like of West Brom, Bournemouth, Fulham, that they can get results against you. So I think this will be an uncomfortable game for Sheffield United. And again, it's a very difficult one to to um, separate in terms of the two teams. You know, you've got a team that hasn't played for a long time compared to a team that are in a really good run of form. Yeah, Sheffield United's last game was actually that Fulham game, which was a month ago now, pretty much. Um, so yeah, they're another side who haven't played in a while. They also had quite a few players missing through injury and COVID for their FA Cup game against Wolves at the weekend. So a lot could depend on who Paul, Pe- Paul Heckingbottom has available to him. If it is a full-strength side, then I think I'd be siding with a Blades win because they've been so impressive under Heckingbottom since he took over. And quite frankly, I've struggled to see many teams getting the better of them right now. But Derby, I've got a fantastic record against the top teams, including Sheffield United. Uh, don't they? They beat them a few months ago, Sheffield United did, but it was only through an 89th minute penalty after Curtis mm-hmm. Davis lost his mind and tried to handball <laughs> it away. Uh, but Derby's record against those top sides and only two losses at Pride Park this season. Are you fancying another impressive result for Wayne Rooney's boys then, Justin? I tell you what, I... I don't. I think Sheffield United might win. Um, I, yeah, I've got to edge towards Sheffield United. I think um, it's a game that Billy Sharp relishes as well. And I think the more the crowd get on his back, the better he gets. Um, and I think that might edge the game. Uh, so I'm going to go a 1-0 Sheffield United tight game, but 1-0 Sheffield United. Well, Billy Sharp has 
even admitted he's not a big fan of Derby County as yeah. a football club, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. After last time's shenanigans in the meeting between these two. Um, I'll go for a draw. It's hard to really give too much of an accurate prediction when you don't know who's actually going to be playing for Sheffield United, but we'll mm-hmm. maybe get a better idea once we see the starting lineups. And finally, then, just in the final game, we'll look ahead to this weekend, is Peterborough v Coventry. And considering what we were saying about Reading earlier... Peterborough will be heading into this weekend knowing that they've got a great opportunity to catch up with the Royals because we all know that Posh are a competitive side at London Road aren't they and they need to get three points here don't they they're they're desperate for the three points Um, and I think they've got as good a chance as they have done all season uh, to getting some they're they're playing against a Coventry team who haven't been a good runner form um, uh, as well as you know their overall team performance and form dropping individuals forms dropped as well Colin Maher not as not as creative and impactful as he has been um, Matty God and Victor Gerkerez goals have dried up for them Darbo well, uh, Darbo looked really poor um, last week against Derby um, so yeah there's there's a lot of um, a lot of not problems for Coventry but the wrong time to be not in form uh, I'd say um, and with Peterborough you know Ballymumba has come in on loan from uh, from Norwich, which is a, a very good signing, and he showed his quality at the weekend. Uh, they're a side for me that I think um, could pick up quite a few results going into second half season. There's there's nothing to base it on. I just I've just got a funny feeling that Peterborough might see the likes of Reading struggling and Cardiff, um, and they'll they'll try and capitalise on that. Um, and as well as that, they're, they're looking like they're going to be productive in the transfer market as well. So going into this game, I think Peterborough in a much stronger position than Coventry. Um, based on performances the last couple of games. Interesting. Coventry are struggling. No win in six for them. So a win for them as well would be very handy, especially if top six is still uh, a name for them this season. Can I get a score prediction from you, Justin? Um, uh, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Peterborough win. Another Ballymumber goal. I'm saying with it this with not much confidence, but I'll go for a 1-0 Peterborough win. I'm uh, not too confident on that, but... uh, Peterborough, they desperately need something here, don't they? And they aren't a bad side at London Road. So, yeah, more out of hope than expectation, really. Right, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days, including following Balogun and his confirmed signing for Middlesbrough. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news, and we'll kick things off with some transfer news. Justin Middlesbrough loan signing of Arsenal youngster following Balogun has now been confirmed. I know you had a lot to say about the financial side of this signing, Justin, but how do you think it will go on the pitch? It's it's really difficult to say. I, I read a stat earlier that he's the top uh, goal scorer ever in the Premier League reserve leagues, the the Premier League two, the PL two. Um, but it's quite difficult to see how, or it's quite difficult for some players to replicate that form in senior football. Um, he's he's a good player. He's got a lot of good attributes. He's, he's good with his back to goal. He's good with the ball at his feet. Not like most strikers. Um, he is a player that Borough need. Um, I think if he is to fire Borough to promotion, he's he's got to be very consistent. And again, it's quite difficult with a young player to see what impact they'll they'll have because um, they're not playing many senior games. Um, 
but if they can get five or six goals out of him, I think he did done his job. And it's the same with the likes of Aaron Connolly and um, Sparrow as well, getting the same amount of goals. I hope he's a success because there's been a lot of positive things said about Balogun for quite some time now, hasn't there? He's been very highly thought of by people who watch him a lot, playing for Arsenal's under-23s. Um, and quite often when it's players like this who are fairly unproven at a senior level, they either go one of two ways, really, don't they? They either have, I don't know, a Rian Brewster kind of a season from a mm-hmm. couple of seasons ago where he comes in and just you know, tears it up. If it's that kind of player, then Middlesbrough will be, you know, rubbing their hands together. On the other hand, we have had players in the past who have not played much senior football and have been a bit overwhelmed by it. Um, plenty of names have fallen into that category, as Middlesbrough have found out over the years as well. So it could, it could definitely go one of two ways, where it could either be a Ryan Brewster signing or it could be a bit of a disappointment really so yeah I'm very interested to see how this goes it is worth pointing out Middlesbrough haven't had a good record with signings over the past few seasons and neither has Chris Wilder for that matter as well so yeah I'm very interested to see how it goes it's definitely going to be one that I think will be under the microscope the most in the championship over the next um, few months or so but Middlesbrough will be hoping and crossing everything they've got that Balogun will be the success that many people are hoping he will be at Riverside uh, Swansea have brought in MK Don's goalkeeper Andrew Fisher Russell Martin raiding his old club Justin yeah it's, it's a decent side I did a fair bit of reading on, on Andrew Fisher again he's a, he's a player that's very good with his ball with the ball at his feet um, accomplished goalkeeper enough uh, it's just again whether or not they, they can make a step up but you look at the um, you look at Lee Nichols, for example. He's he's gone from MK Dons to to um, Huddersfield, and he's been absolutely fantastic this season. Um, it's just a case of just letting him bed in uh, under under Russell Martin and uh, getting re um, purposed, uh, I guess, um, under his philosophy and style of play. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a good signing, good value for money signing as well. Four hundred thousand pounds, I think, is a reported figure, which is uh, a decent amount for a young keeper. Yeah, I really like this signing up in the. I don't watch league one as much as championship obviously but in the fair few times that i've seen andrew fisher he looks to be one of the best young goalkeepers outside of the championship and premier league um and the most important thing i think is that he knows how to play in a russell martin system mm-hmm. because he's the one starting the moves and that's going to be so important to how russell martin wants to play and with that being said i think it's a really good sign and i'm looking forward to seeing more of him um plenty of big praise coming from people who watch him a lot more than I do so yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing him him in a Swansea shirt because Swansea have also needed a new goalkeeper for quite a while now as well haven't they Um, Stoke have signed highly rated Man City defender Taylor Harwood Bellis Blackpool have got him Rochdale striker Jake Beasley he scored 12 goals in 26 games for the Dale this season Peterborough have been busy so far they've signed goalkeeper Stephen Bender on loan from Swansea and Norwich youngster Bally Mumba Forest have got in Toronto FC defender Richie Larrier uh, QPR brought in Derby goalkeeper David Marshall on a permanent deal as well away from confirmed deals and Leeds defender Cody Drame is set to go on loan to Cardiff Nottinghamshire Live is linking MK Don's midfielder Scott Twine with a move to Forest. Meanwhile, they continue to be interested in Millwall's Jed Wallace with the with the Lions now looking at plans for his replacement. I mean, if Jed Wallace goes to Forest, Justin, that would be a ridiculous buy, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would. Um, I mean, as a, a championship watcher, sort of licking my lips at that, the likes of Brennan Johnson, um, Lewis Graben, Keenan Davis, and Jed Wallace is a is a very healthy 
um, forward range to, to choose from and it gives Steve Cooper a lot more flexibility more more flexibility than he ever had at Swansea so yeah it'd be interesting to see if he does move and if he does what he, what Steve Cooper can get out of them Absolutely the Daily Mail says Middlesbrough are trying to hijack a deal for Charlotte FC midfielder Riley McGree Celtic have been negotiating a move for the Australian he was on course of course on loan at Birmingham for the past year and a bit um, from what you saw of him at Birmingham, Justin, do you think it'd be a good signing for Blues? Uh, for Middlesbrough, that is? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's a player who um, really was quite influential at Birmingham City to the point where, where City fans were good that, he, that he'd left. Um, and he's left a massive hole uh, in terms of creativity and, and, and goals as well for for Birmingham. So I think you know, he'd be a very good player to fit into that um, Chris Wilder system. He's a hard worker as well. I mean, you've got to be if you're going to thrive in a Lebo system, and you've got to be if you're going to thrive in a Chris Wilder system as well. Um, so he definitely fits the mould, and he he adds that um, he adds a lot more creativity and a, and a bit more of a goal threat as well to to Borough's team. When I've seen him at Birmingham, I, I thought he's impressed me. I think he's been one of Birmingham's best players for this season so far. But I wouldn't say he's particularly pulled up many trees, considering some of the fees I've been looking at reported for him. So, I think I've seen five million talked about, which I think is a bit mm. steep because I don't think he's yeah, been yeah. that good. But um, yeah, nonetheless, let's um, see how that pans out. See if it actually happens. The Press Association says Stoker looking to bring in Chelsea midfielder Lewis Baker, someone I'd completely forgotten existed, <laughs> and I can't believe he's twenty six and still at Chelsea. Who's given him new contracts? How is he still at Stamford Bridge? I don't get it. Um, Sky Sports say Gareth Bale could move to a Welsh Championship side. Once his contract at Real Madrid expires, Carve Solicol says his other option may very well be to retire, despite only being 32. But, Justin, just imagine it. Gareth Bale in the Championship again. It would be beautiful, wouldn't it? Um, I, I hope it goes as, as good as his last debut went in the Championship for Southampton. But how vague is that headline? A Welsh Championship side almost not ruling out Swansea or Cardiff. Very, uh, very interesting headline, but um, I mean, it's more likely going to be Cardiff, I'd have thought. But yeah, that would be yeah. that would be a beautiful sight, a beautiful, beautiful sight to see that flowing mane, not necessarily running up and down the wing because uh, he doesn't do that anymore, but at least pulling that left foot back for a decent shot on goal. <laughs> I'd love to see him in a Cardiff shirt. I think it'd be magnificent to see. It is where it, it does seem like. This is a very realistic possibility. I remember last summer there was talk of it happening, but I think it was always a bit far-fetched at that point. But mm -hmm. now there is talk about it potentially happening. And if he is a Cardiff fan, I think it's been very well publicised, hasn't it, that he's kind of fallen out of love with football a bit. His heart's mm -hmm. not in it as much as it used to be. What better way for him to get his you know, head back in the game than playing for his boyhood side and mm -hmm. loving his football again. Plus, he's going to be absolutely tearing it up because, I mean, Gareth Bale, compared to the talent of most players in the Championship, is going to be astonishing. So, I, I don't see why not. He's got enough money to last him a lifetime now as well, hasn't he? So, I don't think Cardiff are going to have to be you know, pulling out the big books to sign him either. So, why not? Make it happen, Gareth. We all want to see you in the Championship <laughs> again. It'd be wonderful to see. Away from transfers, according to multiple reports, Mike Ashley, is considering a bid for Derby. It's thought a consortium had been well placed to take over the club, but no announcement has been made yet, and that has led to Ashley being given a chance to swoop in. It's unclear right now how serious his interest is, Justin, but how do you feel about him taking over the club? 
Yeah, I mean, he got linked back in sort of October, September time, didn't he? Um, I think I said that you know, beggars can't be choosers in this situation from a Derby perspective. A lot of Newcastle fans will say, I mean, that they'll curse at him. Um, and fair enough, that's that's their opinion. But in Derby's situation, um, their circumstances are completely different to Newcastle's. Derby County need uh, a wealthy person to come in who has a good track record with football. Um who has a track record with football, should I say. Whether that's good or not is, is up to um, whoever's judging him, um, which is the administrators. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say yes to Mike, actually. I don't have any any issues with it. Um, I'd say yes to the other consortium that's been reported, Andy Appleby. Don't see any issues with that either. Just needs to get over the line, whichever one it is. Mike, actually, wealthy person, good at problem-solving with, with businesses that are going under, so... Derby definitely fits the bill, doesn't it? I think Mike Ashley has been given a bad reputation by Newcastle fans. Some of that may be, deser- may be deserved. I'm not sure he's a particularly nice person. But at the same time, I think Derby, you're quite right, beggars can't be choosers. And in this situation, I think Mike Ashley would be perfect for Derby County. I've seen plenty of Derby fans hissing at the name. I think I saw Niall Horan from One Direction uh, cursing the idea. But I think he'd be perfect for Derby he'd wipe out the debt because he's got enough money to do so and it's in his best interest to get Derby back into the Premier League so he'll do what's needed I mean Newcastle in the time that Mike Ashley was there they only had two seasons out of I think it was 14-15 where they weren't in the Premier League and in that time they were still spending money it wasn't like Newcastle fans were saying where they were spending nothing of course a lot of it didn't come from Mike Ashley's pockets but it's being reinvested back into the club the money that they make from other things so i do think Mike Ashley gets a, a lot harsher reputation than he actually deserves and i think for Derby County he would be the perfect man to take charge of them because as i say it's in his best interest to get them back into the premier league if you say to a Derby fan, in a year's time, you'll have your depths wiped out. Um, God knows what league you'll be in, but at least you'll be back on the right course to go up and stadium again. again. And, and own your stadium again. I don't really see how Derby fans can complain yeah. about that. So I think Mike Ashley would be perfect for Derby, really. Uh, Bristol City CEO Richard Gold says the club could take a points deduction in, instead of having to sell their players in the summer. It comes after the club announced the loss of more than £38 million. Speaking to Bristol Live, Gold said, would we prefer to sell all our players or take a penalty hit if they decide to prosecute? They being the EFL. Well, that is the decision that we'll have to look at and a judgment we take in the summer when we get more feedback from the EFL. What have you made of this, Justin? Uh, I think it's absolutely bonkers um, that they're willing to, to do that mainly because there's no guarantee that they'll even be in a position where they can take a points deduction you look at the team now they're um, where are they they are on 30 points they're just 11 points above Peterborough who are in 22nd you, you know take six points off for example same as Reading they're quite close to the relegation zone so I don't think there's a guarantee that they will avoid relegation if that happens for me the issue is um, Bristol's really bad spending. Um, we look at the money they got for uh, Adam Webster, £25 million. Joe Bryan, Bobby Reed, that's nearly £40, £40 million worth of um, incomings from, from player sales. Where have you reinvested that? Where's that money gone? Um, it's gone into players who are quite simply not up to the task, not, not good enough, not not creating value for, for the football club. Um, and that's, that's where the issue is. If you sell your players and reinvest it and have a succession plan in place and a good recruitment um, team in place, 
then you'll have no issues whatsoever. Um, I think that sort of attitude is an absolute kick in the teeth to the likes of um, Preston, Luton, uh, even Brentford, for example, who always have a plan in place when a player is sold, um, who who um, spend within their means. Um, yeah, I don't I don't like that attitude at all, and I think that's where um, it gets a bit. Uh, not, not crazy, but a bit wild, wild west when it comes to spending in the championship. I think Bristol City are kind of in the similar mould to what we were saying earlier about Reading, how they're another side who have had a crack at promotion and it's just not worked out. And in terms of long-term planning, there doesn't seem to have been much long-term planning. So, mm. yeah, I, I do agree with what you, most of what you've said there. Former Stoke defender Ryan Shawcross has retired. He's now at Inter Miami, what well, was at Inter Miami, but has been struggling for games because of a back injury. But a great career, yeah. Could have been better if it wasn't for injury. He's only played 19 mm-hmm. games in the last three seasons, which I think just about sums up his last few uh, seasons in his career, hasn't he? But, I mean, you talk about Premier League playing for England. He's had a good career, hasn't he? And finally, Bournemouth midfielder David Brooks says his cancer treatment is making good progress and his outlook is promising and positive. He was diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkin lymphoma in October. He's now at the halfway stage of his treatment, which is good news, isn't it? Right now, it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Indeed it is, Mr Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week it's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All I've got to do is guess who it is. The score currently is 8-6 to myself. Last week, for the first time in months, one of us got it wrong. Justin couldn't guess Ryan Shotton, which means I now have the chance to give myself a three-point lead, which could be massive in the grand scheme of things. Although it is worth saying we have given each other permission to be a bit more obscure with the players. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see who Justin goes with this week, considering Ryan Shotton isn't the most obscure, but uh, I digress. Come on there, Justin, hit me. Give me the first clue, please. I made 213 appearances, 213 appearances, scoring seven goals. Defender then. Um, I shall go with Ryan Dixon. Ryan Dixon, <laughs> the left back. That's great. <laughs> I was thinking obscure. Yeah, yeah, that is obscure. Uh, bearing in mind, he only played about twenty games in the championship. That's very obscure. Um, I started out at Manchester United without making an appearances, without making an appearance before moving to Blackpool, where I played one hundred and ninety-one games. Ryan Dixon played more than that, didn't he? Or am I getting it mixed up with someone else? I might be getting probably... mixed up with Dan Harding, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah what yeah. was that clue, sorry? <laughs> I started out at Manchester United without making an appearance before moving to Blackpool, where I played 191 games. Blackpool. Um, Stephen Craney? No. Is he no, it's not Stephen Craney. It feels like he might. I don't think he was, but he... Mm. Yeah, there was a Craney there, or a Tierney. Yeah. Uh, I then moved to Oldham and then Doncaster, where I was part of the team that won promotion to the championship in 08-09. Interesting. Um, I'm struggling to think of players from that team. I can think of Matt Mills, but he was at Man City. But he's the only player coming to my head. Uh, I'll go Richie Wellens. Is it Richie Wellens? <laughs> A light bulb just went off in my head. <laughs> oh, Justin is fuming. Justin is absolutely fuming. 
You've not had much luck with this uh, in the last few weeks, have you? No comment. Are you falling out of love with the game? Oh, you'd have a nice John <laughs> Coleman, Accrington Stanley moment. <laughs> Just falling out of love for football now. It's it's incredibly disappointing. Not only having to find a player that is obscure enough and then find the right clues for you to just pull a name out of the pissing air <laughs> that might be <laughs> that person. It's infuriating and the fact that you go for an obscure player hoping that you get back in the game points-wise and then, you, yeah, I'm fuming. Thank you for the congratulations, Justin. Can we have the last three clues? <laughs> Uh, you can. Um, after a season with Doncaster in the Championship, I then joined Leicester for 1.2 million, where yeah, I was a pivotal I player. Definitely got it by that point. Mm. Uh, I was a pivotal player in the run to the playoff semi playoff semi final. Played both games in the playoffs against Cardiff. Watching my idiot teammate Jan Kermigan miss a Penenka penalty. Call him an idiot. He did a daft thing, didn't he? It's a bit harsh. It was a daft thing, Kermigan Penenkering. Calling him an idiot's a bit a bit harsh, isn't it? I might be pulling a quote out. You never know. I wasn't. Oh, okay. That That's actually my, yeah, that's my statement. Yeah, that's quite harsh, actually. Anyway, he's not coming <laughs> on, is he? <laughs> I played the next season one player of the year, despite Paolo Sosa and Sven Goran Eriksson being in charge. Mm-hmm. So that was that influx of money that came in. I left to go back to Doncaster before going into management with Oldham, Swindon, Salford, and most recently, Doncaster. Yeah, yeah. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. 9-6. It's myself now for the season. I mean, it, it's becoming a bit of a streak for me at this point because Justin got it wrong last week. But when was the last time I got one wrong, ladies and gentlemen? I'm flying here. So, yeah, 9-6 to me for the Craig Bryson. Now it's going to take a mighty effort for Justin to overcome that for the rest of the season. But there we go. Another episode of the second tier rounded up for another week. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the games coming up in the championship this weekend. Um, hopefully going to be a full fixture list for once as well although i'm touching wood when i say that because i'm not sure it's actually gonna happen um but there we go second tier podcast we're back again on sunday i've been ryan dilks i've been justin peach thank you for listening (laughs) 